0: Well, it's a joy to be with you folks this morning. Glad to be here. North Spoon Camp meeting. Love the folks here down in Poplarville. And um, thank the Lord for this privilege to get to be here this morning. And looking forward to this meeting. And I wish you could have been here for all of it. Heard that God and how the way that He has blessed thus far. And sure appreciate the work of God that He's doing in this part of the country. If you have your Bibles this morning... I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. In a minute, we'll begin reading there, but go ahead and just get turned over uh, to the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus. We'll pray real quick and ask God for His touch and His help on the, uh, on the remainder of the service. Exodus chapter 12. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I do thank You for Your precious Word. I'm glad, Lord, that it is a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. Lord, David said, The entrance of Thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. Lord, I want to thank You, Father, that You've given us, Lord, Your inspired, inerrant, infallible, preserved Word. Lord, I thank You that I don't have to doubt it. Lord, I don't have to question it. I'm thankful, Lord, that You have done the job, done the work, Lord, kept Your Word, and Lord, preserved, dear Father, Lord, the sayings of the Lord from this generation. Lord, and forever. And Father, I pray that You would speak to us. And Lord, through the preaching of God, Your precious Word today. Father, I pray, God, that You would, in mercy, Lord, that You would give me a clear mind. Lord, that You would help me, Lord, to remember things that You've, Lord, burned in my heart in the past. Father I pray God in Jesus name Father that you would encourage the saints Lord that you would reprove sinners and that most of all that Jesus Christ would receive all the glory. Father I sure am thankful Father. Oh God for the privilege to preach today. Lord I sure am thankful. Oh God that the blood has been shed. The payment has been made. And Lord I thankful Lord for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Thank you Lord for the Son of God becoming the Son of Man and Dying on Calvary, Lord, for our sin. Lord, I do ask you, God, to guide our steps this morning in your word. Lord, please help us, Lord, to glorify you in everything that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, we've been preachers been talking about this day, and some of you folks were here. Um, back several years ago, and so it, some of it might be a little bit of a repeat for you. Um, but I'm glad the Word of God never gets old. Amen. Amen. I thank the Lord for that. And uh, But the Passover, this is the Passover table, uh, standing here in front of the uh, pulpit this morning, And um, uh, normally around this time, about two weeks ago, around the country and around the world, Jewish families were gathering together and they do every year. Uh, For the past 3,000 plus years they've gathered together and they've observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Passover. And um, it's a very uh, special time. It's a monumental time uh, in Jewish culture and in Judaism even to this day. Uh, As we're about to read, God had commanded Israel Uh, that they were to keep this feast as an ordinance forever an ordinance forever and um, it's amazing that God uses that word ordinance we're going to read that here in just a moment Uh, but there's so many uh, similarities to uh, the ordinance that God has given to born-again believers in the New Testament uh, to observe uh, the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Christ did and the meaning for a Jewish person to observe the Passover as an ordinance has so many similarities to a born-again believer observing the Lord's Supper and it's the same it's the same purpose uh, so that they don't forget what God has done. Not to forget the wonderful works of God. And um, as a Jewish family gathers together, and um, there's some things that have to take place uh, before uh, the Passover can begin, and um, now in in a, a place setting, uh, a normal Passover table would be much longer uh, than this. And, and honestly, tonight, there, uh, this afternoon, there's going to be some things that we're just going to have to skip over for time's sake. Now, a normal Passover uh, would normally last about four hours. Um, is how much uh, time it normally takes, about four hours. And so, I hope that you all brought some brought some snacks with you at least to get you through. Uh, there are cooking crawfish today and so we're going to have a good appetite for that crawfish and so we're going to make sure we get, uh, anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, but as, as the as the Passover uh, is observed, every sitting has um, a little booklet and it's somewhere around the size of this right here and it's called the Haggadah and basically that, that Hebrew word Haggadah just means that it's the narration or it's the telling of the story, the telling of the story. And before the Passover can begin, before anything can really start, uh, the the telling of the story has to take place. The reciting of the story of Exodus. God delivering the nation of Israel out of bondage. Now, this this Passover Haggadah, this Passover order, the Seder... uh, It can vary. Sometimes it will be 10-15 pages, sometimes it will be shorter or longer. And it's made up of psalms, made up of rabbinical writings, and uh, sometimes there will be pictures and illustrations in there. And um, instead of taking the time this morning to go through and uh, pass these out to everyone and, and just reading what the rabbis have to say about this and that, if you have a King James Bible in your hand today, and you turn to Exodus chapter 12, you have a really good narration and recital of the story of God delivering His people out of Egyptian body. It's more than just a good telling of the story. It's an inspired <laughs> telling of the story of God delivering Israel. So, let's turn there real quickly. This has to take place. You cannot have a Passover without going back first and remembering and telling once again what God did in delivering Israel out of bondage so we see we're here in Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 1 the Bible tells us and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying this month shall be unto you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year to you speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take unto them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers. A lamb for a house. And if the house will be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house and take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two-side post and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sod at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and the importance thereof, and ye shall let none of it remain unto the morning. Nothing remain of the morning, and that which remaineth of the morning ye shall burn with fire. And this ye shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and I will spot all the firstborn of the land, both a man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance. Forever, by an ordinance forever. And so, with the Lord's help, let's look real quickly at some of the uh, just wonderful typology that God has left here in His Word in this telling of the story of Exodus. In verse 1, we read it just a moment ago, and I sure do love the Word of God. And, uh, And God starts this chapter off by speaking Israel. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt in the land of Egypt. Now, as you study your Bible and as you look through the Word of God in the Old and the New Testament, you find that there's not much good mentioned about Egypt. God does not have a whole lot of positive things to say about the land of Egypt. Egypt is always a type of sin, it's a type of slavery, it's a type of bondage, and you're not going to find a whole lot of good typology about Egypt. Keep in mind, the nation of Israel has been under uh, the firm hand of Pharaoh. They've been under bondage and slavery for over 400 years. By the time we get to Exodus chapter 12, they've served with rigor. They've served in mandatory uh, bondage and they've served under forced labor. And you talk about years of bitterness. And tears and misery. And but I I tell you what I rejoice in, that even in the midst of Israel's lowest Condition and lowest position, God is still speaking to Israel. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. How many of you this morning can remember when God Almighty began to speak to you in the land of Egypt? Oh my! I'm telling you, I'm glad this afternoon that God is still speaking to sinners in the land of Egypt. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit of God. God was sent into the world to reprove sinners of sin of god's righteousness and judgment to come and god is still speaking to people in egypt today i bless the lord for that and god is speaking to israel he has not forsaken his people that he once knew he hadn't cast them away oh my yeah i mean boy uh, jacob joseph's brothers and and i mean they i mean they deserved everything that they got and they deserved a whole lot more. They deserved all of that. Their kindred deserved all of that slavery. But God hadn't forsaken His people though. He hadn't forsaken them. 400 years. Now Israel, no doubt wishes they could forget these years. And Look what God tells them. We see in verse 1 the typology of a lost condition. But in verse number 2, look at this. The Lord is this is what He's telling Israel. He said, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now he said it's it's for you. He's talking to Israel. This is not going to be the first month of the year for the Egyptians. This day is not going to have any special equivalence. It's not going to have any, uh, any, any rejoicing connected to it for anybody else but for you, for, for Israel. For you this day... Shall be unto you the beginning of months. You see what God's telling them? He's telling them you can have a new beginning. He said you can have a new start. If verse one is typology of lost condition, I believe verse two is painting a beautiful picture of the born-again experience. God's telling Israel, you can start over again. You can have you can be made a new creature. I'm glad the word of God's still true this morning, if any man. Be in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And this ain't gonna be a happy day for Egypt. But if you'll listen, Israel, to what I have to say, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. Unto you, the beginning of months. You know, God. God put a lot of blessings in my life. I was raised in a wonderful Christian home, around great Bible preaching, raised around the things of God, and God. God's been so good to me even before I got saved God's been so good to me but I tell you as I look back at my life I, you know, the, the reality is I really didn't start living until I got born again amen I mean, I'm thankful for new life in Christ Jesus I'm thankful for the day when my life started over again and, and God said this day shall be unto you the beginning of months I don't know about you can you remember this morning uh, the beginning of walking with God of being born again when God started your life all over. and that's what God's telling Israel He said hey listen no doubt you want to forget these 400 years and if you'll listen to what I have to say you can't, <laughs> amen no doubt you wish you could put these 400 years of bondage out of your mind, no doubt you wish you could start over again and if you'll pay attention this month can be to you the beginning of month so, oh I'm thankful for the born again experience and the wonderful joy of salvation in Christ Jesus. You said, now brother Samuel, we're in Exodus chapter 12. Israel's been in bondage for over 400 years. There's already been nine plagues God has already sent locusts he's already sent the frogs he's already turned Egypt's rivers into blood he's already sent the thick darkness he's already sent the hailstones God has poured plague after plague after plague upon Egypt Israel's been there all these years what is God going to do in one verse that's going to make a difference for Israel that hasn't already taken place nine plagues and Pharaoh's heart still hardened Pharaoh hardened his heart one moment God hardens it the next. Pharaoh hardens it again. Just a quick note for those that lean towards that damnable doctrine of Calvinism. Pharaoh hardened his heart first. Amen. Hey, just, just a note. Now that's free. Don't want him to even charge you for that. All right. Be set up, brother Samuel. Brother Samuel, there's been nine plays. Nine plays. couldn't let Israel go. I mean Egypt's economy is in the tank Egypt's under bond Egypt is under judgment from God they don't have any water they don't have any food they don't have any cattle and yet they still want you know it's amazing to see a lost person brother Nick it's it's amazing to see a lost person trying to reform their own life I mean the harder they try the more times they go to rehab uh, the more they try to go to self-help programs uh, the more times they get baptized and join the church uh, the more they try to do and Egypt will not let go it just won't I tell you dear friend though what nine plagues cannot accomplish one lamb is getting ready to take care of what nine plagues could not do look this is what God said speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel. This is for every last one of them. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take unto them, now watch carefully, we're in the middle of verse three, take unto them every man a lamb. Not every man a pool of water to get baptized in. (laughs) Not every every man a baptismal certificate. Not every man a piece of church membership. Not every man an offering or a tithe. But every man was to take a lamb. Should take unto them every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers. A lamb for a house. And look what verse 4 tells us. And if the household be too little for the lamb, now, I'm glad you'll never find anywhere in the book of Exodus where the household was too big for the lamb. There's never been one time recorded where the lamb was not big enough for the house. But if the household be too little for the lamb, if you got left over, let him and his neighbor next unto his house and take it according to the number of the souls. I mean, you know, we're only in the second book of the Old Testament here. But it's amazing how God's already laid the pattern down for evangelism and trying to reach the lost trying to warn those that may have not heard of coming judgment oh my you see God said if a house will be too little God said if you've gotten your house taken care of if you've gotten the lamb if you've applied the blood you need to be immediately concerned about your neighbors let him and his neighbor next unto his house that means don't drag your feet that means don't waste time that means you better get over there and get knocking on that door and say have you heard Angel death's coming. Have you heard? Judgment's on the way. And I tell you, dear friend, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm truly this afternoon, I'm truly burdened by how many opportunities I have let pass me by in warning my neighbor. You say, Who's my neighbor? Well, dear friend, you just gotta read a couple of them parables, and God makes it really clear who your neighbor is. Amen. <laughs> that good Samaritan, he was passing by the fella, and Jesus said, That's his neighbor. You said, Brother Samuel, I, I've reached everyone around my house. Have you reached everyone you've crossed paths with? The apostle. Paul could end his ministry and he said I'm clear I'm innocent of the blood of all men and dear friend we have a whole lot of neighbors we failed to reach don't we? I have a whole lot of neighbors I have failed to reach and God said you better be interested and concerned about the spiritual condition of your neighbors better get over there let them know judgment's coming let them know there's a lamb God's made a way of escape and look what God tells them about verse 5 your lamb shall be Without blemish. Now if you look through verse 3, and if you look through verse 4, and you look through verse 5, this lamb is mentioned in all three of these verses. It starts off in verse 3. God says for, it to, for them to take every man a lamb. Verse 4, but the Word of God in the end of the verse says, His eating shall make your account for the lamb. Verse 3 is a lamb. Verse 4 is the lamb but verse 5 your lamb oh I'm telling you I'm so thankful for the day when the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't just a lamb and he wasn't just the lamb but he became my lamb today that salvation is personal. Salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Lamb. Has He ever become your Lamb? Now listen, I'm glad if you recognize Him as a Lamb. Jesus is a payment for sin. You're heading down the right path. And if you take it a step further this morning and say, I believe He is the Lamb. I believe He is the only payment for sin. Dear friend, you're getting real close but dear friend you have not been born again until he's not a lamb the lamb but he is your lamb dear friend Israel could have stood there and looked at that lamb they could have wrote songs about that lamb they could have talked about that lamb but until they killed that lamb and it became their lamb that lamb didn't do them any good they had to obey God they had to follow the word of God and your lamb shall be without blemish. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, oh my, what did John the Baptist say as he stood on the banks of the Jordan River? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Your Lamb shall be without blemish. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Verse 6, you shall keep it the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. No doubt our Savior was crucified in those evening hours. And Israel was commanded, the whole congregation, to kill this lamb in the evening. But look at verse 7, and we'll move real quickly from there. God goes into great detail in this chapter expressing and explaining to Israel how they are to apply the blood to the doorpost. If you go through and read the end of Exodus chapter 12, God even breaks the process down even more clearly uh, for Moses. God goes through and He explains that they are to uh, pour the blood into a basin. They are to take hyssop, straw-like substance wound together, and they are to dip uh, that hyssop in the blood. Now God could have used any means that he chose or that he would have wanted to explain how this blood was to be applied. God did not have to use one way, he could use whatever he wanted to, and God did. God told them not to dump the blood on the doorpost, not to paint the blood on the doorpost, but God told them to listen in verse 7 and they shall take the blood and strike it, and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Can you see this afternoon as that Jewish man, he's followed God to this point. He's took a pure lamb of the first year without spot, without blemish. An innocent lamb who's done no wrong. He's took that lamb. He's killed that. He's shed that blood poured in the basin. And now God's instruction is dip it in the basin and strike it on the upper doorpost and strike it on the two side posts. Can you see that blood begin to flow down from the middle of that upper doorpost? Can you see that blood begin to meet there on the middle of the top of that lintel? And I'm telling you, dear friend, they had never seen a cross yet. Roman crucifixion had not been invented. But God in His foreknowledge, God in His all-knowing knowledge, He knew there was coming a day when the Lamb of God would be crucified and shed His blood on the cross of Calvary they were to strike the doorpost. and dear friend two thousand years ago the door to heaven Jesus said I'm the door and by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and them Jews were striking the door and dear friend years later Jesus the door we were smitten and bruised and wounded for our transgressions they had to smite the door oh there could have been a whole bunch of other ways that God could have told him to put the blood on there, but he said, I want you to smite the door, I want you to strike the door, I want you to strike the door. God said they were to eat it in haste. You don't waste your time now, don't take your time, Israel. You but hurry up tonight. The angel of death is coming. And dear friend, if the blood has not been applied to your soul, if there's not peace in your heart this morning, oh, if the peace of God that passes all understanding is not a reality in your life, you better not waste any more time. Verse 12, for God said, I will pass through the land of Egypt. Judgment is coming. God said it's going to happen this night. And God said, I will smite the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both of man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. It's amazing as you go through and study those plagues. That We won't do that today. We won't take the time. But as you go through and study those plagues, every plague that God brought upon Egypt was one of the many false gods that they worshipped as a nation. They worship frogs. They worship lice. They worship all kinds of crazy stuff. And God said, oh, are you are going to worship it? Alright, we're going to go ahead and bring judgment on that false god. And, and, and Israel's, uh, Egypt's biggest idol was their firstborn son. In order to be a priest in Egypt, you had to be a firstborn son. And dear friend, God is getting ready to bring judgment on the false idols of Egypt. And God said, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be unto you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood. See, God's looking for the blood. He's not looking for anything else. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, I'm sure that there were some Jewish folks that said, you know what? I'm of the tribe of Levi. You so want no lamb putting blood on my doorpost. Everyone's gonna look at me kind of funny. Now, I mean, I know what Moses said and I know what God's done, but God, I'm one of the chosen people. I mean, I go to church at North Spoon Baptist Church. I'm, I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I go on church visitation. I preach at the nursery. I mean, the list could have gone on and on and on and on on, but I'm, I'm a Jew. I, God's not gonna, this is for Egypt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Lord, kill them firstborn over there, them, but you a wicked, filthy heathen. I'm, I'm good though. I'm, I'm a, I'm a chosen person. I'm okay. My mom and daddy, I mean, they got the blood on their house. Surely that's good enough for me. No doubt there was many that did. See, God wasn't when the angel of death came. When the Lord passed through the land of Egypt that night, He wasn't looking for Jew and Gentile. He wasn't looking. He wasn't looking for Egyptians and Israelis. He was looking for the blood. He wasn't looking for church members and not. He wasn't going through the church roll. No, sir, friend. He was looking for the blood, and the blood shall be unto you upon the houses where you are. God said, "When I see the blood." When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Are you trusting in the blood of the shed lamb of God this morning? Are you trusting in the blood what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is what God said. He said, this day shall be unto you a memorial, a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. God said, I don't ever want you to forget what it took to get you out of Egypt. Israel, I don't ever want you to forget that it took an innocent lamb, His blood shed, that door smitten for you to get out of Egypt. Never to forget a memorial throughout your generations. A feast by an ordinance forever. When we observe the Lord's Supper, is that not what the whole meaning of the Lord's Supper is, of communion? I mean, taking communion doesn't save you. Observing the Lord's Supper does not save you. Dear friend, it's a solemn time to go back and to remember what our Savior did on Calvary. Oh my. And it is an ordinance of the church. And God didn't tell us how often we're supposed to do it, but He did say it's often. As ye do. And that means it ought to be often. God help us. And maybe the reason why some of our churches are so cold. Maybe the reason why some of us are so cold. It's, it's been a long time since we made a trip back to bloody Calvary. And remember what our Savior did on the cross for our sins. God told Israel, I never want you to forget. You are to keep this a feast by an ordinance forever. And look what God told Israel. Now we're done. And, and, and let, let, me, let me make this one remark. Normally I, I do not go all the way down. We're not going to read the entire chapter. Okay. But as I was looking through this, and I don't know if I've ever even spoke about this in the Passover, but I want to mention this just real briefly, if God will help me. There's a bunch written as far as the procedure of the Passover, and we'll get to that, how they're to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and all of these things. In verse 22, the beginning of the verse God's explaining them about how they're supposed to dip the hyssop in the blood. But in the end of verse 22, just briefly, and this is just a side thought, but God said, and none of you shall go out at the door of His house until the morning. And none of you shall go out at the door of His house until the morning. Now I understand salvation is a personal transaction between an individual and that person putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ you talk about an amazing picture right here for those young people in our congregation our midst this morning you might i mean be, might be getting real close to that 17 18 19 year old mark you're already driving you're already starting to have some independence already starting to have some things that you know some liberties and maybe that pull of that world is getting stronger and it does You get into those years. I promise you, it does. It wasn't just a short time I was sitting right there where you are. We see a wonderful application in the Word of God. God's given you a home where the blood's been applied. You better not go out of the door of that house, you better not leave. You better not leave the protection and the safety and oh dear friend and the security of a family and a home and a church and a pastor that love God that worship God and that preach the truth. You better not do it. You're bound to get wrapped up with everyone under judgment out there. I mean, you're bound to. You bet you, oh, dear friend, you better stay grounded. You better stay like that tree planted by the rivers of water. You better not leave. You better not leave. God said none of you should go out of the door of his house. They had to stay in the house. They had to stay in the house. Now, listen, we'll move right along, okay? Look, verse 17. And I pray God, the Lord may have, I don't know if I've ever said that, but the Lord may have had that for someone here this morning. And that's the Word of God. Amen. It's the Word of God. A lot of good application. Look. Verse 17. End here of of the recital of the story for this afternoon. God said seven days ye shall eat unleavened bread. The first day ye shall put away the leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So the families gathered around the table. They've read the Haggadah. They've told the story. They've remembered what Christ, what God did, the pictures of Christ. They've seen all of the amazing things that God did in bringing Israel out of Egypt. But now before the Passover can begin, there has to be a searching for the leaven. There has to be a removal of uncleanness from the home. God said seven days ye shall put away leaven out of your Houses, God said, I'm setting aside a time period here, and for these days, I want you to start cleaning house. You talk about spring cleaning in overdrive. Now, my dad growing up, my grandma, when it came around springtime, you better believe. Things started moving around at the freed residence. I'm talking about tables being moved, chandeliers being cleaned, floors being mopped, rugs being rolled up, couches being. Cleaned. I mean, everything you can imagine. They were cleaning that house, and the whole reason is God has laid out a requirement for this Passover. He said, "Ye shall put away the leaven out of your houses." You've got to clean up, and so Grandma would. You talk about working. Oh my, grandma would work. And the reason why she was so concerned is because she knew that as the family gathers around and the Haggadah is finished being read, the story's done being recited, she knows that now there is a time the head of the house is going to have to get, many times he'll get a feather and he'll get a wooden spoon sometimes. He'll get a clean white linen cloth. Sometimes we'll put a white glove on, but one way or another, there has to be an inspection in the home. There has to be uh, there has to be an inspection made to to confirm that the leaven has been removed. Now, listen, th- this is not something uh, that that the rabbis made up, and they've made up a lot of things. But this is something that God laid out, yeah. and, and so I mean, it's pretty clear right here. If if you forget every other part of Passover, you better make sure the leaven's out of your house. Yeah. You remembering that day, that feast day. Now, of course, you know you remember there were some folks that that took the Lord's uh, supper unworthily, and it's almost kind of the same comparison. We're supposed to examine ourselves, are we not? What God told Israel, hey, He said, "I want you to clean your house. So, so preacher, I know you know we're we're approaching lunch at some point, and I already told everyone to get their snacks ready. Um, but nonetheless, we got to have a pause right here, and we have to inspect Make sure that biblically we can observe, we can at least um, demonstrate the Passover here at North Spoon Camp Meeting today. Okay, all right. So we're just going to go around here, and we're just going to dust a couple things and look around. And y'all have a beautiful building here. I thank the Lord for how He's blessed you and what He's done. We just got to check up here, just make sure everything. Oh no, preacher! Oh, this is not good. Let's look up here. Oh, brother! Oh, brother! Preacher! brother Billy Ray oh my brother in the house of God brother you see that can you imagine what's on that side now brother I mean how could we let this in the house of God Families, you see that I mean just on that one side over there brother live in in the house of God uncleanness brother Bogart You better call, I mean I'm supposed to be with you all on Sunday, you better call the church cleaning team. Because brother, oh my, y'all got to prepare. Granddad, can you, I mean he was bad at Ridge Road, but not that bad. I mean, brother, living in the house of God. How could we allow such a horrible offense? Living in the house of God. Now I know we've, I mean, preacher been so gracious to set aside this service for the Passover. But I mean we're gonna have to we're gonna have to really call big time out. And um I mean ladies better get your dusting brushes and I mean well, we might need a pressure washer for some of that side and move. I mean we're gonna to have to really have to clean. And listen, we're gonna have mercy on you this morning. And here's the reality of the matter. Y'all do a great job. There was folks in here vacuuming the floors when I walked in this morning. This is a beautiful building. And it don't matter whether I'm preaching in an uh, open air uh, tabernacle, or whether I'm preaching in a $7 million building, I can always find something. There's been some times I had to dig through the piano, I find something. Here's the point. You know for a fact, there's going to be dust on that, on that steel beam over there, don't matter how many times you dust it. And God's not necessarily concerned whether there's dust running along your rafters or not. Now we ought to keep the house of God clean and you all do a great job. That's not really the point that God is trying to make for us today. i tell you the point He is trying to make though. I wonder how many times as the people of God, and we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, are we not? If you're saved, if we're born again. How many times have you and I been guilty? Oh yeah, I mean we may have had our Sunday best on. I mean, We may have had our hair parted just right. The floors may have been sparkling. Everything may have been just right. But how many times have we walked into the house of God with leaven in our hearts? unconfessed sin in our lives. I wonder how many times I've been guilty of that. I'm ashamed. Now, you know the church of the Corinthians, they had a big problem with that. And there was a whole lot of leaven in that church. And this is what God, using the Apostle Paul, wrote in chapter 5, verse 6 through verse 8. We'll just read it briefly. You don't have to turn there. But Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, your glory is not good. No, you not that a little leaven, just a little bit, a little leaven, leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Don't take much. And don't take much backsliding send a whole church into apostasy. It does not take a whole lot of ungodly action and secret sin regarded in the heart. It doesn't take a lot of iniquity. You're talking about a whole family, a whole side of the church, a whole portion of folks. A little leaven. Leaveneth the whole lump. And you may say to Brother Samuel, this is, this is just something that I'm struggling with personally and I'm not quite yet ready to get victory over, but it's just my life and it's not going to affect anybody. You better mark it down, friend. You're affecting everybody around you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Look what God said. Here's the remedy. Purge out therefore the old leaven. Purge it out. Purge it out. That you may be a new lump even as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrifice for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wonder how many times folks have walked in. You know, it happens across the country every Sunday morning, every Lord's Day night, every Wednesday night. Church members, many of them born-again Christians walking in the house of God and they got malice and envy and bitterness and backbiting Criticism in their heart, and, and I mean, they may they may not be addicted to pornography or drinking booze or all the other advices, but dear friend, their heart's eaten up with ungodliness and wickedness and envy and deceit, and and oh, the list can go on and on. And we wonder why God does not move like He once did. Well, it's because we got leaven. And God told Israel, He said, "If you're going to observe this feast day, you're going to do it my way." And dear friend, if we're going to meet together. And if God is going to meet with us, if the Holy Spirit of God is going to move like He desires to, if God is going to work the way He wants to, if we're going to see God move and work, we better do it His way. And God said, this is my way. I want you to clean house. I want you to purge out the old leaven. Did not David, in that very, very heartfelt prayer in Psalms 51, he said, purge me with hyssop. He said, I shall be clean. He said, Lord, he said, wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Oh my David said, Lord, if I'm going to get clean, you're going to have to do it. God, if I'm going to be in a place where you can use me, you're going to have to help me. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Oh my living a sanctified life, how important that is to the Lord. Second 2 Timothy 2.21 if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified, set apart, and meet for the Master's use and prepared unto every good work. Now, once once the house, once the home has been cleaned and cleansed, once the leaven's been removed, the Passover can begin. And once we get our hearts right with God, we can worship Him in spirit and in truth. We can. And dear friend, the reason why some folks, you may be saved, but the reason why you can't ever enjoy the things of God is because you just never got your heart right. Amen? And I mean, listen, God... and Preacher, I hope it's okay just, just to stop it for just a second. I want to be careful. I know we got to go ahead and get into this Passover. But it's amazing, you read through Joshua chapter 3, and God told the nation of Israel before they were going to cross over Jordan. And if you're looking at it from a picture standpoint, they've already been through the Red Sea. You know, all of that's taking place. If it's, you know, That's the picture of leaving Egypt. They're saved already, but they're trying to cross over into that victorious Christian life. And God told the nation of Israel that they were to sanctify themselves that day. For God said, tomorrow I will do wonders among you. You see what God was saying? He said, get your heart right today because I want to work among you tomorrow. And I wonder how many of us, if we took that to heart and said, God, on Saturdays, I'm not not standing in front of the Xbox, I'm not watching the television screen, I'm not doing this and that and that and the other reading the newspaper, God, I'm going to put all that on hold. Once I get past four or five in the afternoon, God, I'm going to skip supper on Saturdays. God, I'm going to put everything aside that would distract me. And God, I'm getting my Bible and a glass of water. And God, I'm going to go out somewhere in a solitary place and say, Lord, will you search me? God will you help me not to grieve you in church tomorrow God will you help my preacher to preach God will you move with power and unction Lord I may not play a part in the meeting but God I don't want to grieve the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit of God you better mark it down friend our churches would be different our services would be different the preaching would be different God would have a lot more liberty to move if we just do it his way we got to purge out the old leaven now once the leaven's purged it's been removed We'll take it outside and they'll burn it now that that's done the head of the home has to make sure that personally he's been clean he has to take this bowl this is a special cup and you got handles on either side so he'll pick it up the first time with his right hand and he'll pour water over his left hand you talk about i mean, just being extra careful and then with that hand that's already been washed he'll touch the other handle that has not been touched yet or shouldn't have been touched yet and he'll pour water over his right hand. And you see what he's done. He's picked up the same vessel twice without ever even touching the same handle. And from that Jewish ceremonial side standpoint, his hands are now clean. The individual who is purging out the leaven has to make sure that he had not got any on him either. And as preachers and as pastors and as men of God and as workers in the ministry, sometimes it may be so easy to be so focused on getting the leaven out of our people and getting the leaven out of those that God's called us to minister to. And before we know it, we start getting some leaven on us. And the easiest thing to do as a preacher is to let some of that pride come in and say, well, I, I mean, I, I know I'm thinking things I shouldn't be thinking, but I'm a preacher, I'm okay. I I know I shouldn't be looking at that, but you know, I, I, I'm the man of God. It's It's going to be okay. I'm telling all them how to live. Surely I'm not going to fall. That would be foolish for me to fall. And dear friend, he that thinketh he standeth. God said, let him take heed. Listen up. Pay attention. If you think you're standing, if you think you're doing alright, if I think I'm doing alright, I'm about ready to fall on my face. The individual who searches for that leaven has to take extra precaution to make sure none of that's got on him. And you know, it's just like Peter. And, and we're moving back here to the Last Supper. The Last Supper was the Passover. Christ was eating the Passover with His disciples. And right there in the midst of that Passover celebration, moments before Calvary, Peter and all the disciples have been working and walking with Jesus. And Christ said, you need your feet washed. Peter, you need your feet washed. I mean, and he was walking with the Lord. How much, how much more do we spiritually, from a typology standpoint, need to get in the Word of God. He might sanctify and cleanse it. Ephesians chapter 5, he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. And you know what? How dare myself as a preacher of the Word of God think that I can open my Bible and preach without living in the Word of God on a daily basis? It's a foolish thing. To think that somehow just because God has put a solemn call on my life that I can just live in a flippant way and just do what I want to do during the week. Dear friend, with a call to service is a call to prepare. A call to preach is a call to sanctification. A call to the ministry is a call to be set apart and to be sanctified for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't go live how you want to live. I can't go do what I want to do. There's things in the week. There's places others may go and that's fine. But God has put a call on my life and He's put it on yours. God, help us to take heed to the ministry that God has given us as ministers. The man, oh, I praise the Lord. For This picture, the individual who's removing the leaven from the home must take great care to make sure he has not got any leaven on him. Now, as we look through this Passover table, there's a lot of furniture sitting here and some of it we just won't be able to get to for time's sake. You pray with me that God will help us to focus on what He'd have us to talk about this afternoon now. We see over here on this corner is the Passover plate. And um, there, there's several different elements that go on this plate. Um, first, over here in the corner, you're going to have bitter herbs. The bitter herbs were commanded by God to be eaten during the Passover. And a lot of times they'll take that horseradish is a form of that bitter herb for them. And they will, they'll, they'll partake of that horseradish during the meal of the Passover, during the feast of the Passover. And that is to remind them of the bitterness and bondage of being in Egypt. And you know what? It doesn't hurt us every once in a while to go back and remember where God and what God brought us from. God said, listen, I, I, you know, even when you've entered into the land of Canaan, I want you to sit around a table and eat something that tastes nasty just to remember. Just to remember. Eat something that tastes bitter just to remember what it used to be like. It cut down on a lot of complaining. In our homes, wouldn't it? In our lives. If every once in a while we just remember what life was like before salvation. What life was like before Christ changed our life. What life used to be like before the grace of God. We'd quit complaining and we'd start praising. God said, I want you to have some bitter herbs on this plate. There's actually two places on the plate. On the side and over here on the bottom where they have the bitter herbs. Because God said they were to eat of bitter herbs, plural. So they take two bitter herbs. And they'll have it on the plate. And there's some other stuff. We'll skip over some of this. We can't get into all of it. But you get over here to the side and you have what's called the horoset. And that's a mixture of nuts and honey. And some other things mixed together. And that's really sweet. And it's mixed into a, a mortar-like substance to, rem- to remind them of what it was like to be Pharaoh's bricklayer. But they take of that, and it tastes really good. And that's to remind them of the sweetness of deliverance. They ain't making bricks. Anymore, not serving Pharaoh anymore. So on one hand, they remember how bitter things used to be, but then they get to remember how sweet it is now to be in liberty, the grace of God. On the plate, there'll be a there'll be a bone, a shank bone, and if they can find the right butcher, it'll be a shank bone of a lamb. Many times, it just ends up being a shank bone of a chicken. Well, there'll be a shank bone sitting over here on the plate. Years and years, my dad would sit around that Passover table and scratch his head. He'd listen to the story read. And he would even question in his mind and say, God didn't say anything about a bone. and God didn't. This right here is the blood sacrifice. The bloodless sacrifice for the nation of Israel. This is as close as they ever get to killing a lamb. They don't shed a lamb's blood. They do not follow what God has laid out in Exodus chapter 12. This is as close as they get to a sacrifice—just an old, dried-up bone. And you know, doesn't that represent religion today? And and that's about—that's about, that's about the—I mean—that's a picture right there of about how much peace a Jewish person has celebrating this day. They don't have any assurance. They don't have any hope. They don't have any rest. Just dry bones. Just dry bones. And and, and you know what? The dry bones of church membership. And the dry bones of all of these things, all of these rules and regulations, and and the dry bones of of all of the different creeds of mankind just sit on a plate and just decay. God said, you're to shed blood. God said blood has to be shed. But Israel doesn't have any blood. This is a reminder, a very, very, very stern reminder that God is not pleased with the modern day Jewish Passover. There's four cups. Here on the table, we'll talk about those in a minute. Over on the end, you have grape juice. And and, and you know, it's amazing how that in a, in a normal home, in a normal Jewish family, these cups are not filled with grape juice. They are filled with fermented wine. That's what they use, a standard Jewish home. And isn't it amazing that so much effort is put into removing the leaven from the house? And, and, and yet they're taking fermented wine and that yeast in that wine and and, and they're putting the leaven right back in the cup and they're partaking of it. Now listen, it doesn't take a lot of Bible study. It it does take some Bible study, but not a lot to realize very quickly that God has never ordained for mankind to drink alcoholic beverages. Period. Period ever never it's never been god's plan and they can go back and they can try to try to rest the scriptures however they would like to but it is not god's will the same god there's no way that the lord jesus christ made hunt made gallons upon gallons upon gallons of fermented wine the same god who said wine is a mocker strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise you won't tell me that dear friend go through steady it out there's many different words in the Word of God, many different words for the word wine, and you study it out. God has never ordained for mankind to drink alcoholic beverage. But, but we're not getting off on that today. But it's a good note though. You better be careful. You get into some churches. You get into some Baptist churches. You get into some Baptist churches, and um and and they get they go around. They start taking start taking the Lord's supper, and you better be careful what you what you're drinking. You better be careful. And um and I've heard all kind of crazy all kind of crazy, well my brother Chris told me to go ahead and blow it out so, um you know and uh, <laughs> some of them folks and a lot of our good Bible teachers uh, for years gone by the Plymouth Brethren but the Plymouth Brethren the way they take it I mean they just take a big old a big old jar that. And there may be some churches down here that do that. I'm not. Mad. I, don't, I don't know. I'm not from down here, but I mean, they just take a big old cup and they just pass that one cup all the way around. And they say, "Now, Brother Samuel, Brother Three, we, we got to do it this way. We got to have. We got to have fermented. We got. It has to be. Has to be real wine." in there, just to make sure it cuts down and kills all the bacteria while we're all sharing the cup. Listen, you know, I've heard a lot of crazy excuses, Brother Jacob, and that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's that's pretty, that sounds like a pretty bad excuse to me. And uh, listen, if you're trying to find a way to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, you better get your heart right with God. Amen. And if you're crazy enough to stand behind a pulpit and try to preach, I mean, you're leading a lot of people... Oh my, leading a lot of people. It, it, it is, it's is—it's a very serious and solemn thing to stand behind a sacred desk and preach the Word of God. And preachers, God's going to hold every one of us accountable for what we've said. And if you're not sure about something, it's better just not say anything about it. It, it really is. Then to lead somebody astray ten years later, you have to go back and correct all the damage you've done and you'll never be able to do that. You better be careful what we preach. Alright, now, as we're looking through here, nothing can begin until these candles are burning. And so, one of the heads of the home, many times it's the mother, someone will take this prayer shawl and they'll put it over their shoulders. They'll take it and place it over their head. And they'll walk over here to the front of the table and they'll begin to pray a prayer that starts something like this. Baruch <laughs> Adonai Eloheinu now that the lights are burning the candles have been lit the Passover has officially begun and that prayer in its entirety basically just says blessed are you Lord God King of the universe who hath chosen us from among all people you have chosen and sanctified us from all nations and they partake as the candles are now burning in conjunction with Soon after the washing of the hands, they take the first cup. The first cup is the cup of sanctification and blessing. They're rejoicing and thankful for the fact that the home has been sanctified and now God's blessings can be upon a home that is clean. And they'll take that first cup of sanctification and blessing in conjunction with the candles now burning and the leaven has been purged. Now, as we work our way around this table, we've already talked about the Passover plate, Talk about some of the elements on that plate and what that's symbolic of, the cleansing of the hands. Now we make our way over here towards the middle of the table and we come over here to the second cup. This is the second cup. This is the cup of suffering. It represents suffering for a Jewish person as he takes this cup. He's reminded of the years of toil and suffering. Everything in this Passover is reminding them of where God brought them from. This cup of suffering. We mentioned it already with the Lord's help, but it does us good to to be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ, in that Last Supper with the disciples, not only was He partaking of the Passover, He He told the disciples to go find that upper room prepared where I may eat the Passover. Christ was partaking of the Passover, but not only was our Savior partaking of the Passover in the very same time frame, He is also fulfilling the Passover. Amen. He's not only having a part of it, He is the Passover. And and when you realize the Word of God and how God is pulling these two dispensations together, God is getting ready to reconcile mankind to Himself. And not only is the Lamb of God partaking of the Passover, He is the Passover. And Christ our Savior partook of all of these cups it's amazing he could he could very easily that afternoon there in that room taking that cup of sanctification and partaking of that with a clear conscience as the lamb of god the pure spotless sinless lamb of god but now we come here to the cup of suffering if you have your bibles turn with me to luke chapter 22 Christ has already left the room where they've eaten the supper. Judas is gone. He's going his way to betray the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord goes into the garden and gives this great commission to the disciples to pray that ye enter not into temptation. tells them indeed the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And honestly, there's no other verse that could describe mine and your prayer lives better than that verse right there. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There are plenty of times we want to pray, and you get about 15 minutes into it, and the flesh is just so weak. But Christ told him, he said, he said, pray, lest you enter into temptation. You're about ready, fellas, you're about ready to fall. You better spend some time praying. And they all go to sleep. But here's the Lord Jesus in the garden moments before Calvary. Passover time is still taking place. In verse 41 of Luke chapter 22, and He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And He kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, there's been plenty of brethren that have taken this chapter and preached from it. And there's been a lot of good preaching out of Luke chapter 22. you hear a lot of Bible scholars and teachers and they'll take this chapter. And if they're not careful they'll do a great disservice to the Word of God here in these verses. You'll hear teaching, and there may be some folks here that have taught it this way, and if you have, I'm not upset at you. I'm not I'm not picking a fight. I don't know anyone here that has preached it this way, but if you have, I'm not mad at you. And and I'd love to sit down with you afterwards and, and look at it together. But there's a lot of folks that take this passage of Scripture, and as Christ is asking that this cup be removed from Him, they make the statement, they say, The Lord Jesus was learning obedience and they reference the book of Hebrews and they say that Christ truly from a a human standpoint did not want to go to Calvary. He didn't want to die on the cross. He didn't want to suffer the agony and the pain and the shame and the suffering. And so one last time in the garden, he's asking God the Father, if there's any way I can get out of Calvary, will you please remove the cup of Calvary from me? If you're not careful, you know it's easy to get sucked up in that. I mean, he's asking that a cup is removed. He's asking the present cup. He didn't say a cup, but he said this cup be removed. And you'll hear a lot of—I mean, you really will—you hear a lot of teaching and preaching about that. And and the folks that teach that, I don't believe many of them are really trying to do disservice to the deity of Christ or anything of that nature. But but in, in some respect, they very well could be. Very dangerous to follow that line of thought. And and, and the the first reason is just simply. You can't find one place in the Word of God where the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, ever prayed a prayer that God the Father did not answer. You can't. Not only that, dear friend, you can never find a place where the Son of God prayed a prayer that was contradictory to the Heavenly Father. If you have God the Son praying something against the will of God the Father, you have a big problem with the deity of Christ. Now I understand that God manifests in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ 100% man, He's also 100% God. But for God the Son to pray something that is not the will of God the Father, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It was pretty clear. And that was the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was telling Nicodemus, it's God's will that I'm given and my life is given and my blood is shed for the salvation of the whole world. He said, well, Brother Samuel, okay. Uh, so, so maybe that's not what the Lord Jesus is praying. What is He praying? I, I've looked at this passage of Scripture and i had some great discussions with some men of God and, and I've tried, tried to ask God I definitely do not claim any amount of originality for this, but if we break this, if we break this verse down, I believe, I believe in my heart, that God makes it very clear in light of the Passover what cup he's talking about. I believe Christ is now partaking of this second cup of suffering. Look what the Bible said. And he's saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup. This cup. Present tense, right now. This cup for me. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, you don't have to do that this morning. But the Word of God tells us as Christ enters the garden that His soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Even unto death. You want to know what that tells us, Brother Jacob? That tells us that as Christ, as our Savior, entered the garden on that evening after the Passover, the that portion of it had already taken place, he is already bearing the sin of the world. He's already bearing all of the iniquity, all of the ungodliness, and he's heading towards Calvary. And from a human perspective, the body of our Savior begins to break down under that load. Now, medical doctors. They explain that, and it's a proven fact for many years, you can come into such a physical condition where a mental and emotional strain in your pores actually begin to open and you can begin to bleed out through your pores. We read the end of this verse, the Bible said in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We see our Savior I believe this this afternoon as Christ enters that garden from a human perspective He cannot go any farther as He drinks this cup of suffering can you see our Savior in the garden as He begins to pray to His Father saying Father if Thou be willing I cannot go any farther humanly Father my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death Father if You do not help me I will not Make it to Calvary. Father, if you don't help me, I will not stand before Pilate. I will not be able to fulfill the scripture that I was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. Father, if you do not help me out of the garden, if you do not give me strength, if this cup does not pass from me right now, I will not be able to lay my wife down on the cross and fulfill Psalms 22 where the Word of God tells us that they pierced my hands and my feet. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Father, if you don't let this cup pass from me, I will not be able to make it to the Roman whipping post and allow that cat of nine tails to smite my back. Father, Psalms 129 will not be fulfilled. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their first, Father. If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Oh, dear friend, what a Savior we have this morning. Oh, what a Savior we have that would beg His heavenly Father to let Him go all the way to Calvary and be the perfect atoning Lamb of God, the payment for our sins. And you want to know what's amazing, Brother Biller? I believe this. We watch God answer that prayer immediately. And there appeared an angel from heaven Strengthening him. Oh, dear friend. God gave him extra strength. And he went all the way. Took our sins to Calvary. What a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. That cup of suffering. As we work our way around the Passover table, we come now to the matzah bread that is laid here. This bread is unique in the way that it's baked. It has to be baked in eight minutes flat. There can be no leaven in this bread. The, uh, in the baking process, the corners of it are burnt. If you look real closely, some you can see better than others, but in the baking process, the bread itself is pierced. You can see the light shining through that bread. You can see the stripes in the bread itself and every passover table is the same you as far as this is concerned there will be 3 pieces of this matzah bread laying here on top of the bag that's just for this unleavened bread you'll never find 4 pieces you'll never find 10 pieces or 12 pieces and and you can ask a rabbi you can say sir why is there 3 pieces Boy, they'll scratch their head and they don't have an answer. They really don't. But I have an answer and just in case you yeah. were wondering. Amen. One represents God the Father. One represents God the Son. One represents God the Holy Spirit. And, and, and here's what baffles these, these dear Jewish families even more than that. They take all three pieces of this matzo bread with the Billy Ray. They take them and they put it in one bag. <laughs> what about that? They put that middle piece in the middle compartment. They put the upper piece in the top, and they put the bottom piece there in the bottom. Now what do you have? You got three in one right there. You got three pieces of of bread in one bag, and in conjunction with taking these two cups, second cup is the cup of suffering, the third cup is the cup of redemption, and in conjunction with taking both of those cups. They reach back into the masa bag. They take the middle piece of bread out. For us, we understand that's representing God the Son. Did the Lord Jesus not say, I am the bread of life? And He is the bread of life. Unleavened bread. No sin in Him. No guile was found in Him. The head of that home will take that piece of unleavened bread and He'll raise it above His head and He'll break it in half just like that. The Lord Jesus, did He not say, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, He said, I will draw all men unto Me. They take this one half and they place it back in the bag. And they come over here and they take the other half that has been broken and they find themselves another clean white linen cloth and they begin to wrap the broken piece of matzah. And they take that and they begin to wind it up. And they begin to wrap it up. And now this wound up piece of matzah bread is taken and it's hidden. And it's put away until the end of this Passover is to be accomplished. we we'll read together here in the Gospel of John. Our Savior has suffered and bled and died, fulfilled all of the prophecies, hundreds upon hundreds, foretelling the suffering of the Messiah. The Word of God does tell us that when they had accomplished these things, they, they took His body down from a tree. We know He was led to Calvary. Two malefactors were with Him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And you know, Our Savior cried, Father, forgive them, for they, they know not what they do. Israel said, let His blood be on us and on our children. But Christ looked at him and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you see the veil of the temple being rent in twain from top to bottom? It's amazing. I was talking with a dear brother yesterday. Wherever, and there's debate on where exactly Calvary was in Golgotha, that area. But wherever it was, The centurion could stand there at the foot of the cross and he could see the temple from where he was. He would have had to because the Scriptures tell us that he's seen these things. He's seen these things. He saw all these things. He saw Christ say, it is finished. And it was finished. And when Jesus said it's finished, the Bible says the veil of the temple was written twain from the top to the bottom. Can you imagine standing there on Calvary watching the heavens darken the earth begin to quake. God the Son crying out, it's finished! The temple veil! They said it would have taken more than twelve oxen on either side. That's how thick that veil was to get it to rent in twain. And God, He didn't rent it from side to side. He right down the top to the bottom. that veil was removed. He did a lot of things that day. Historians, Josephus and, and many of them record that there was no Ark of the Covenant inside the temple during the days of Christ. A lot of things came back from Babylonian captivity. It's not recorded that the Ark of the Covenant made its way back. Can you imagine for all of those years? Maybe that's why there was so much, maybe that's why there was 400 years of silence with Stallman, because man said, oh, we've got a great religious system going on. God said, no you don't. It just looks like it. Can you imagine that day when Jesus said it's finished? There's a lot of things that were finished. But dear friend, Judaism was finished. It was finished. Think about it now. It's all been a sham! All these years! Priests gone in that temple, poured blood on the ground. Told everyone everything's okay. What about that? I'll tell you what was really finished. The work and payment for the sins of mankind was finished. It was finished. Now, and, and it would have been camp meeting here maybe a year and a half ago and God was blessing Brother Tim Giddens was preaching and he made this statement and and how true it is when Jesus died Judaism became a cult and it really did. Judaism is not the way that God ordained for them to worship. They're not even following the Old Testament today. And be careful I mean it don't matter what part of the country you're in there has been a, a resurgency of folks taking feast days like the Passover, like the day book of the Bible, the book of Galatians, to explain why we are not to go back to these feast days and, and follow them as a form of religion. And, and you know what's amazing? Every single one of them come back and they say, yeah, yeah. The, the book of Galatians, it, it has a lot of errors in it. And, and So here's the thing, they can't refute what God, what God wrote in Galatians. So, so they just have to go ahead and start picking the inspiration of it apart. And if your doctrine is based upon part of the Word of God being incorrect, Dear friend, you got a big problem with your doctrine. I'm here to remind you this morning, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. and thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And a lot of these folks, they don't have a lick of Jewish lineage in their heritage at all, and they're really in trouble because not only are they observing something that God would not allow them to do, they're doing it contrary to And they're really mocking the finished work of Calvary. Jesus said, it's finished. It's finished. Judaism is finished. The temple, the sacrificial system, it's done. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, He's paid the sin debt. Can you see our Savior? The work's been done. And you know, dear friend, dear sinner friend, dear lost church member, this afternoon, If you've never rested in the wonderful fact that the work's finished, it's finished. It was a happy day when I quit trusting on Samuel Freed and what I said and what I thought and what I felt and realized Jesus did the work. He paid it all. Every bit of it. And you'll never find rest until you rest in Christ. But it's finished. Now here we see in John chapter 19, verse 38. And after this Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but watch this. The Bible says, "But secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus." And Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And they took the body of Jesus, and what did they do? Now they wound it in clean linen cloths, with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Kind of sounds like what just happened here at the Passover. Now the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein never a man yet laid. There they laid Jesus, therefore, because the Jews' preparation day for the, uh, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Just like they take this wound up piece of matzah bread. They go and hide it somewhere in the house. Our Savior was taken down off of Calvary. He was brought over there to old Joseph Arimathea's new tomb. And that stone was rolled over the door and our Savior was hidden until Passover was over. This piece of matzah stays hidden until the feast is over. Can you see Joseph Arimathea? You know, he never had enough courage to stand up against the council as they condemned Christ. I don't believe he was there part of the folks that were mocking, for he was a disciple of Jesus, but the Bible said, but it was secretly for fear of the Jews. You know, it's amazing. A secret disciple never does anything for the cause of Christ. But something happened in old Joseph Armathea's heart. Watching our Savior die on Calvary. Watching him lay his life down. Telling his disciples, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. No man taketh my life from me. Watching that Roman soldier pierce his side and watching Christ die in open shame for the sins of the world. Something happened in the heart of old Joseph of Arimathea. In his heart, something began to well up. Brother Billy Ray, he said, You know, He's fulfilled every single one of those prophecies, hasn't he? And it's Passover. It's right now is when they would have been killing that lamb down at the temple, but man, that temple's a mess now. He is the Lamb of God. I I knew there was, I knew he was a great teacher. I knew he was a man sent from God. He's a lot more than that. He's the payment for my sin. Can you see something taking place in Joseph's heart? He said, you know what? If he was willing to do that for me it don't matter what my family says it don't matter what the synagogue says it don't matter what I lose it don't matter what what price I have to pay but if he would do that for me I'm willing to stand up and identify myself with him I'm not ashamed to be a Christian I'm not ashamed to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ dear friend can you see him making his way to Pilate if there was any place you didn't want to be at that moment in time it was around Pilate but he said I'm heading straight there to the authority he said, I'm going to beg the body of Jesus. And can you see something happens? (laughs) Can you see old Nicodemus? He's trailing behind Wait up, old Joseph. Wait up. I'm coming too. I mean, Nicodemus had the same problem Joseph Armathea did. He came to Jesus by night. Secretly. Didn't want nobody to see. God did something in both of those men's hearts. They said, you know what? They said, I'm identifying with him. And I don't know this, but dear friend, it very well may be, the greatest example of faith in the New Testament up to this point. You think about it. You have that dear woman who touched the hem of Christ's garment. Great amount of faith. You have that Syrophoenician woman and you have um, the ruler of the synagogue who calls Christ for his his daughter to come and you see faith all the way through the Word of God and Then you see the centurion who calls Jesus to heal his servant and won't even let Christ come to his house. He says, Lord, speak the word, and my servant shall be. If you have power to lay your hand on him, you have power to speak the word. And that sickness be removed from him. And what did Jesus say? He said, I've not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. I don't know this right here. This is past that time. This may be just a little bit greater. Because here's the thing. That woman who touched the hem of his garment, the ruler of the synagogue, the centurion, Christ was alive. The Lord Jesus was living. They were watching miracles take place. But now here's Joseph Arimathea. And he's risking it all for someone who's already dead. The disciples didn't know the Scriptures. And apparently Joseph didn't either. He thought he was giving his tomb away. Joseph, are you really putting everything on the line for Jesus of Nazareth? He's dead. Joseph, he's dead. It was one thing if you were going to follow him when he was feeding the multitudes. That makes sense. But he's dead now. See, Joseph going and said, I don't care what happens. I'm going to Pilate. And he goes there. takes that step of faith. And they take that body down. And they wind it up. They lay it in that tomb. During this time, I've told you that that cup of suffering, that cup of redemption, is taken during the same, uh, in, in succession with each other, the breaking of the bread. As we come over here towards the end of the table, every place sitting, along with their order for the Passover and their cup, has a napkin that's laid down beside it. This napkin is is of a pretty pretty big importance, especially um, following some of the traditions that would have been go- taking place during the biblical times. But they'll take that napkin, and you know we're getting ourselves close to the two-hour mark. They're going all the way to the four-hour mark, and so we're almost done. But you think about sitting around a table for four hours. There are many folks that during that meal they may get an urgent call. They have to go somewhere. They have an engagement. Someone's fallen sick. Their presence is required and they have to leave and they are not coming back. For the Bogart, they're leaving and it's over. They have to go. Feast can go on, but I have to leave. The customary tradition of the day would have been for them to stand up quickly, take that napkin that they have and wad it up just like that, set it there on the table and they would exit. As the person who's coming by and doing the serving and doing the waiting, he would walk by and he would see this napkin. He'd see it all wound up. He'd see it all, he'd see it all crumpled and, and, and just wadded up like that and he would realize immediately this individual is not coming back. Maybe they had an emergency. Maybe they got mad. Maybe they didn't like the food or whatever. But they're not coming back. But if somebody was stepping out for just a short time, they had every intention of coming back, they were not going to be gone for very long. They would take great detail and pain to take that napkin I mean, they'd press it down just as nicely as they could. They'd fold it over. And they would leave it on the corner of their place just like that. And what they're saying to everybody is, I'm coming right back. Don't move my place. Don't move my food. I had to step away for a moment. I'm not going to be gone long. Now you look. Christ is taken down from Calvary. You turn over here to chapter 20. And the first day of the week, come with Mary Magdalene, early when it was yet dark into the sepulcher, and see if the stone taken down Away from the sepulcher. And she runneth to Simon and Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith, And they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they've laid him. Peter therefore went and that other disciple, and they came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. And he came first to the sepulcher, and he stooping down looked in, saw the linen clothes lie, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen cloth lying and the napkin that was about his head. Watch this, not lying with the with the linen cloth, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and look what happened. And he saw and believed. And he saw and believed, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away unto their own home. And so you say, Brother Samuel, what did, what did John believe? What did that other disciple believe when he saw? You know what he did? He walked in there. And, and John was he was a little bit closer to Christ than the rest of them were. And, and and it kind of just went over right over Peter's head. A lot went over Peter's head. But it just, I mean, Peter walks in, he's there first. Oh God! Oh, he's gone. John walks in and he said, oh my, there's something going on here. That napkin, that was about his head. It's folded really nice. It's wrapped together, I mean, just so neatly. And it's in a place by itself. He said, I don't know where Christ is, but I believe He is coming back. He may be gone, but He's not going to be gone for long. And you know, John... He can never get over that. You get down to the end of the book of the Revelation and He said, even so come, Lord Jesus. Behold, He that shall come, He will come. And He will not tarry. And so now we're at the end of the Passover. This broken piece of matzah has remained hidden during the entire time. This is the ending of the Passover. We're getting ready to partake of the last cup. But before we can partake of the last cup, the offikomen, that's, kind of, that's the dessert. That's what this piece of wrapped matzah bread in this white linen cloth is called. It has to be found. And it's, going, it's literally going to fall right into place with what just took place that we read in John chapter 20. How the disciples go run, try to find that body of Jesus. And they find those, that linen cloth. So what happens is, the head of the home will take this piece of matzah. And he would have already hidden it for for illustration's sake we've been taking it out and, and and talking about it and putting it back so one of the one of the one of the young folks in in the home is going to be selected to find the hiding place of this monsterzo if he finds it he he's gonna to get a reward so if you're under 10 years old you need I mean you need to close your eyes parents you better you better look because make sure your kids are are not trying to cheat here all right if you're under, let's say if you're under 15 years old, alright, you just, I mean, you need to close your eyes. We can't have no cheating in the house of God. we got to get all that leaven back in here. We can't do that, alright? Alright, now, that's right. Alright, now we've got to hide this. Now, we got to hide this, alright? We're going to find us a place All righty, let's see here. Y'all can look now. Some of you, I mean, some of you worked really hard on not looking at it, And that's a, a blessing. Buddy, why don't you come up here? Yes, sir. Yeah, you. And um, yeah, come on up. He's been, he's, he's been wanting to have a part. Now, it's somewhere. It, it's, it's past this point. But you've got to go find it. Now, when he finds it, there's going to be a reward if he can find it. Okay. Now you're going to have you're going to have to walk up the steps. It's the only hint I can give you. All right. It's somewhere up there. You got about a minute and a half. If he can't find it, we'll we'll just kind of go down the line and find someone that can. You just keep on looking for it. It's back there somewhere. But if he can find it, if he can, and he's going to look and work real hard. But we got we we got to have a, a, a reward to give him. It's kind of a little bit hard for a missionary to take up an offering. But I need to take up an offering. If anybody has some $1 bills or some quarters, Brother Chris, I, I need some cash. Um, you found it! Already! Man, somebody helped me really quick. I just, because here's the thing. He has it, but it has to be. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. All right, here we go. We're, we're good. All right. We're good. My goodness, brother. You got man, this is the biggest, one of the biggest rewards I've ever given anybody. Look at this right here. I don't know, did he did he work hard enough for that, y'all think? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, it is. Amen. That's just the grace of God. All right, so, but this, this piece of matzah has to be redeemed. In a in an Orthodox home, the head of the home will actually take pieces of silver, Billy, Billy Ray, and he will redeem this piece of matzah. Give him the silver, and he'll take the matzah. And you know, I mean, that's exactly what happened with. Old Judas Iscariot he sold our Savior for 30 pieces of silver. Buddy, you did a good job. you be seated. But one way or another, a reward is given him in exchange for the of bread. And that's the afficom, that is the celebration. And along with the celebration of that piece of unleavened bread being found, being discovered, can you imagine the rejoicing the disciples' experience on the road to Emmaus? as they realized that this man they've been walking with on the whole afternoon is actually Jesus Christ. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us when He talked with us, by the way? He was known with them in the breaking of bread. Amen. Dear friend, you talk about rejoicing they can never get over. Can you imagine getting to see not only our Savior crucified, but to see Him risen again in a glorified body? And the disciples can never get over that. They're rejoicing. And that brings us to the last cup. You The first, you have the cup of sanctification and blessing. The second, of suffering. The third, of redemption. And there is no redemption without the shedding of blood. Blood has to be shed. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. But thanks be to God, which has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But after redemption, we have the fourth cup, and that is the cup of rejoicing. And dear friend, we can rejoice... This afternoon, because we serve a risen Savior, His body didn't stay wound up in the grave clothes. His body didn't stay in Joseph Arimathea's tomb. If you look hard enough, you can find Buddha's tomb and Muhammad's tomb and everyone else's. Dear friend, Jesus is not there. He's not, for He has risen. And and, and you know what? There, there's no religious hiding of where that sepulcher was. I mean, he's out to everyone. Come see the place. Where the Lord lay. I mean, come on! Nothing to cover up here. He's gone. He's risen. Ain't no DNA back here, friend. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone. Christ is risen again. You say, Brother Samuel, wait a second, wait a second. I know you said you're done and you're trying to go. We're trying to go eat crawfish and all this other stuff. And it is kind of funny. We've already we purged out all the leaven, Brother Billy, right now. We're going to go eat some unkosher food, but it's going to be all right. I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, amen. Thank God for grace. As long I as mean, we're, we're eating it on a folding table, not a Passover table, so it's going to be okay. But he said, Brother Sam, you're trying to shortchange us. There's there's another cup. You said there were four cups, but there's 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 a big cup here. You Don't think you can get away with just not telling us what that's about. Well, I won't. I'll be real quick. This is Elijah's cup. Elijah's cup is, is larger than, than any other cup in the table. And then there's a chair that sits here at the a chair that sits here at the end of the table, at the head of the table. And it's larger than any chair around that place setting. That's Elijah's chair. So you got Elijah's cup. You've got Elijah's chair. This is Elijah's place. So, Brother Samuel, what's the point of all that? By the time you get down to the end of this Feast of Unleavened Bread, this Feast of the Passover, all the Jewish traditions have been observed. The house has been cleansed. Four hours sitting here reading rabbinical writings. Reading the story of what God did in delivering Israel from bondage. Now it's time to see if God has accepted this Jewish family's Passover. Dear brother, would you stand over there and open that door and just hold it open for me for a minute. As you come to the end of the Passover, a door, an exterior door is open. It does not matter. Whether they're in Siberia and it's minus 20 degrees outside, or whether it's, you know, nice tropical weather like we have this afternoon, the door gets open. And it stays open for the closing moments of the Passover. They're taught by the rabbis if Elijah does come, it means that God has accepted their Passover. For 17 years, my dad sat around. Passover table in silence wondering if God had accepted their Passover. You know, Elijah never came. Never, not one time. They're also taught that if Elijah comes, not only does it mean God accepts their Passover, but it means that the Messiah is also soon to appear. Can you imagine with me this evening? Imagine that night hour has grown late. The family has done everything in their ability to follow the teachings of the Word of God, to follow the teachings of the rabbis, all the work, all the labor, and to sit in silence to go through and partake of all of these wonderful pictures of Christ and not be able to see even one of them. God's let us rejoice around the Word of God this morning. God's let us shout. God's let us see the Lord Jesus Christ in every facet of this. It's all in God's Word, every bit of it. It's all pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine though, being in a Jewish home and missing every bit of that with the veil of Moses over your eyes, the blindness on your heart, and to end this time for us of great rejoicing, our Savior's risen. But for them, is Elijah going to come? We made his seat the best in the house. We got him a bigger cup than anybody else. Oh God, have you accepted our Passover? Are you pleased with our work? Have we done enough? Have we honored you to the best of our ability? We did everything the Talmud and the rabbinical writings said to do. Dear friend, there's something missing. No blood's been shed. And God has not accepted their Passover. I hope that God let us leave this morning with two things. Rejoicing first off and the wonderful payment that's been made. You can close the door, dear brother. Pray that God has led us to see Christ in the Passover, our Passover lamb. I hope He's your Passover lamb this morning. I hope He's not just a payment for sin and the payment for sin. I hope He's your payment for sin. I hope God lets us leave this afternoon now with a burden to get the Word of God and the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into the hands of the Jewish people. There's only one way. For a Jewish family to have that veil and blindness removed and to be able to see Christ in this Passover, somebody has to give them the Gospel. And this morning, the Gospel of Christ is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I pray that God would let us lead this morning with a renewed burden, a renewed desire to see God do a work. I don't know our dear brother over here. I hope to get to meet him this week going to New York. i tell you this much though. New York needs missionaries to the Jewish people. United States, over five and a half million Jewish folks. Hardly anybody reaching them. Israel. All the way down to Central America. The list goes on and on. And they're going to keep on sitting around a Passover table going through all the traditions of men. And they'll be doing this next year if no one goes and tells them their Passover lamb's already died. Their blood's already been shed. Their payment's already been made. Christ, our Passover, has already been sacrificed for us. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank You. Lord, I ask You that, Lord, You would burn these truths into our hearts. And Father, if there's someone here this morning, Lord, that's never been born again, never seen their need of salvation, seen themselves as a sinner and come to Christ with a broken, a contrite spirit, put their faith rested in the finished work of Calvary what Jesus did died for their sins buried but rose again the third day according to the scriptures Father I pray that today would be the day Lord that they repent and put their faith and their trust and their assurance in Jesus Christ Father I want to give you the glory and the praise for helping us Lord thank you for this opportunity Father we pray that your will be done the remainder of this invitation time In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, preacher.